0: This is Mona Lisa Baseball, episode 6. It's August 22nd, 2021. Okay, so... Since we last spoke, uh, this really great thing happened. And um, I made it inside a ballpark went to my first game for the first time in seven or eight years and um yeah it happened it was a full experience uh it's so good to kind of keep tabs on the sport see where things are at now on a personal level see what things have changed uh see what things feel the same um so yeah before I started recording this I wanted to hear my last episode and so um Just wanted to clear one thing up. Um, More than once, I referred to the flagpole in center field of old Enron Field as a foul pole. I did not mean foul pole. I meant flagpole. So if it sounded like I meant flagpole and I said foul pole, that's what I meant. Okay. So a friend called me up, um, had a big celebration to be had. Invite a bunch of his friends out to a ball game out in San Francisco. So I woke up early that morning, drove to San Francisco, uh, stayed with a friend that lives on Ocean Beach, and that's basically on the west side of San Francisco, and rode the Muni train to uh, the ball game. And so, yeah, basically had a little time in the morning to look at the ocean, and um shot the breeze with some friends grabbed a couple tall cans and headed out to the ball game we left probably in the uh whatever two o'clock who the hell cares um so yeah went to a night game giants rockies and um first thing that happened that was new was uh walked around willie mays plaza over to um there was going to be a couple 15 passenger vans with uh, friends of mine, that was going to be in the um, parking lot A. So I hadn't been there in so many years that that area looked completely different and a lot more high-rise, expensive-looking um, hmm, ballpark community areas, I suppose you could call them. There was sort of advertisements for what that area is supposed to look like in the coming years. And I remember them just as parking lots. So that added a new wrinkle to things. Um, I think there used to be a, a field with a like a, um, there was a little field where you could play wiffle ball on when you're getting ready to go into the park. I didn't see any of that. I'm, I'm sure all that's gone um, under construction now for bigger and grander and richer things. Uh, so that's kind of where things started. Um, threw the football around. I actually didn't get to throw one. I watched people throw the football around. And then um, we got in a circle Shotgun to beer and and walked into the park. So we had awesome seats. Um definitely the closest I've ever sat to a a big league game. And there was a lot of things I was thinking. Um the park has definitely changed. Uh first thing worth noticing was the right center field wall, which is known as Triples Alley. Uh, is not 421 anymore. It is 415. I'd heard they're bringing the fences in. So I was glad that that particular spot only went in six feet. But I had this sneaking suspicion that left center also got brought in because it said 350 something, and I think it used to be 360 or 370 something. Um, So that pricked my ears up a little in terms of, hmm, I think that's changed a little bit. Um I guess the reason I bring those up is I have heard now for a few years that the Giants couldn't bring in a big slugger because um back when this park first came into existence in 2000 uh Barry Bonds was in his heyday and it was it the, the news had got out that it's going to be 309 to right field and everybody thought of this new park as it was going to be a homer dome for Barry and then the very next year he hit 73 homers most of them to right and that kind of cemented this thought of um you know it's clearly people can can rock the ball out of here their shortstop Rich really hit 37 homers one year so everything seemed um as though pack bell at the time was just going to be, um, even a normal or maybe even a slightly easy place to hit home runs. Now that time went on, it showed that SF's one of the most difficult parks to hit home runs in, in, in terms of sheer numbers. Now the giants haven't brought a ton of sluggers in, in the last 20 years. So I think that helped, you know, kind of, what would you call it? Like negatively pad those stats where, um, uh, it's just a non-homer park, but I don't think it's really unfair in any way. Um, but hey, if the wind blows in off the ocean, it's tough to put it over that brick wall and right, right center. Um, so yeah, the the numbers were brought in, and you know, in three years, the Giants got three World titles, and I think it was working for them, and. I don't like the idea of changing something that works because on some level, it was working. Now, you could certainly make the argument that it wasn't as exciting as other areas because the numbers weren't the same, but there was always plenty of great atmosphere going in San Francisco. I don't think there was a problem at all with the dimensions. Um, I believe that people didn't choose San Francisco as a home. Like I actually heard, what was his name? I think it was Adam LaRoche picked when he was a free agent to go to the Diamondbacks because he'd get better numbers playing in Arizona versus trying to hit it out of right field in San Francisco. And that's great. Go somewhere else if that's your deal, looking for numbers and looking to ink the big contract. I think that's kind of a silly way to represent yourself as an athlete. Don't know if it's true, but I'd I'd heard that about him. Um, definitely happy to boo him afterwards. Um, so anyway, it just kind of, if you're bringing fences in to attract sluggers for bigger numbers, there's something that just doesn't sit well with me. That's not really in the essence of the sport. And if that's the case that you can't add sluggers, shouldn't you be drafting or trading for people that kind of fit your ballpark? That's kind of the way I see it. And so the other thing besides the moved in fences, which it doesn't make it more exciting. So I'll start by saying that. But the other thing that I notice immediately is uh, the bullpens. Bullpens are not on the right and left field side, you know, midway into the outfield right next to the fans. They're now in center field, which is one of the reasons why the fence got moved in. Okay. A few years ago, there was an outfielder that played for the Giants that was in right field, ran for a foul ball, and hurt himself on the bullpen dirt. And in turn, he ended up suing the Giants. We're in a litigious society. A lot of times it sucks. But can can you think of a more chicken shit thing to do? It's just like, bro, you're an athlete. You know that those things are there. It's like... Right field is made out of bricks. So if you just run full steam into the wall and get a concussion, you're going to sue the Giants because their wall is too hard. Like, where do you draw that line? It's fully reasonable to have the bullpen over there. Um, I know the fans love it. You got to be right right next to it. I remember sitting in left field before a game started, and Lincecum and Posey were warming up before the game started, and I'm watching it going, I might be watching two Hall of Famers warm up. I need to remember this. So there's something really cool about having the bullpen there. But there was an argument made that it's not safe enough. And I think there was also an argument made that uh, opposing teams don't like that you're so close to the fans and they can heckle you. You know, this might be a phrase that's old school, but you got to man up. If you're a pro athlete, you have to know how to not listen to the fans, you get a very large salary. I think that's kind of part of it. It's a good idea to sign autographs for fans and take it when you get heckled. That's just kind of how it goes. So the bullpens got moved, and also right next to those bullpens, there were nets put in. So what used to be a really great area to receive foul balls uh, there's now Nets there. And this is definitely something, kind of a theme that I noticed that's going on in baseball is we're just kind of getting away from the game and catering to the other things more. Um, all right, pause one sec. So I had heard that there was a very small child that was at a game that got hit by a ball i don't know where they were sitting but a ball hit a very small child and it's kind of a worst case scenario for for everybody the batter the team the people sitting next to him, the family that had their small child hit it's a, it's a horrific scenario it's a worst case scenario and that family sued the team um that doesn't seem right to me obviously you have to know if you're going to bring whoever it is that you're bringing to the game whether it be your wife your grandma, your small child, your, um, whatever varsity left fielder son, there's an inherent danger in going to a baseball game because hard baseballs fly into the stands and it's the same thing. If you go to a golf tournament, a hockey game, you're not. Um oh what's the word you're not um you're not immune to the dangers of the sport so without knowing a ton of the story i don't think that kid should have been there and i don't think it's the team's fault that a ball hit a small child because I'm sure the argument that's being made is that there's not enough netting to be safe. But let's just say if you want to sit in the first row, you got to look alive and be alert. That's why people at least used to bring their mitts to a game. Not only do you want the ball, but you got to protect yourself. You you got to have a head in the game. And It's not the kid's fault that he didn't have his head in the game. It sounds like the kid didn't even know what baseball was because he was super, super young. And so seeing these new nets, or I should say nets in places that I've never seen at a ball game before, takes away from the fan experience. Because now there's certain people that used to be in just the hot zone for getting a foul ball. Now you're not getting that. It's almost 100% guaranteed. And instead of having nothing between you and the field visually, which is an incredible feeling, now there's a net in between you. And that does take away from your experience. You know, um, granted, it might only be a 1% visual experience less, but it is less. One of the thrills of being at a game is there's nothing in between you and the field, you're part of that experience. So that's just really unfortunate. I could see these things creeping into the ballpark that took away from the game being the main spectacle. I mean, you think about if you look around now or if you watch a telecast, you'll see people. I mean, the classic example is, you know, a group of girls with their uh, team hat on That don't even look at the field. They're just taking selfies the whole time. That's inherently dangerous to yourself. Because balls travel into the stands. And it used to be where people were into baseball. Went to the games to see them played. And then eventually it's kind of gotten away from that. And I'm not saying... You shouldn't take a non-fan to a game. You just have to teach them how you go to a game. You bring a mitt. You watch the game. For me, you get a hot dog or a bratwurst. Hope you see the malt guy. And hope a ball gets hit to you. But there's enough time in between pitches that there's no need. There's no reason that you can't be alert the whole game. Um, it's not moving too fast. It's baseball. It goes at a very reasonable pace for you to be watching the field and keeping an eye on things. And if you're going to be front row and sitting near the field, you better take someone that can stay alert for the entirety of the game. It doesn't mean they have to pay attention every second, but when every pitch is thrown, you got to have your head in the game. So those things were really stood out to me. Um, It wasn't a very exciting game in terms of extra base hits, stolen bases. It was pretty flat line. Um, It was close for a while. And then the Giants just kind of gave it away towards the end. And... You know, San Francisco as a city has gone through a lot of changes in the last, um, well, geez, tech boom. Um, A lot of people have been forced out of the city who can't afford anymore. And a lot of technology driven people making a really nice salary uh, via Silicon Valley moved in. And I really got this feeling that, well, okay, first of all. Giants were on a huge winning streak going into the game. They held the best record in baseball going into the game. It was a weekend evening game, and the stadium was about half full. And this is mid-late August. So something catches you right there where it's like, well, does San Francisco still have baseball fever? Because it doesn't really feel like it at the moment. Um, you know, that's a place that when I was going consistently, you expected it to be sold out, uh, really, really far from the case. And the game was just kind of a flat liner. Like you just didn't really feel like the fans were into it. So that was disappointing when you have great seats and a bunch of your friends there. It's, it's fun. And, you know, we were going to have a great time regardless, But the fans didn't really put any energy into the game. And so it kind of had that feeling where other things were more important than the actual game. Like people wanted to be there so that they could perhaps post pictures of themselves being at the stadium, making it appearing like they're having the time of their life. But they weren't because... I know what a ballpark or stadium feels like when it's pumping and throbbing with energy. This was very much not the case, not the case at all. And so a couple things happened. Um, And I think this is the first time I've seen this because I can't really remember seven, eight years ago. But I think it's the first pro game, or I should say any game that I've been to, baseball, that had uh, instant replay. And this sucked. Uh, It really sucked. And again, this is going to go back to some major arguments I was making in the beginning of the show is that Having this attachment to what actually, actually happened is ill for the sport because I, I know there was one play at first base. Uh, we were sitting on the first baseline, and I remember everybody when this play happened. Um, the Giants player, don't remember who it was, was running down the first baseline, and it appeared as though he beat it out. And the ump called him out. And I remember thinking it was so obvious that he was safe. And so they stopped the game. And this was maybe two minutes. uh, Gave the opportunity for the fans to look away. Possibly get bored. And they made the announcement that the runner actually was safe. And there was mild cheering that there was now a runner on first base. But we substituted for what actually happened. We killed the pace of the game. And this was early; it didn't really matter too much at this point, but it didn't give the fans a chance to boo the ump like they should have because we could tell very clearly that he was safe. At least, you know, we we definitely felt that way, and then it turned it out turned out being true. But you don't get to use the spunk and vitriol towards the ump booing him telling he's telling him that he's wrong because you know the computer is just going to tell you if he was out or safe so you don't really have that human connection between yourself and the ump and i remember i was so close to him that i wanted to kind of heckle the ump but their job's not really on the line in the same way now that they can just gather and come up with the right you know what actually happened come up with the correct answer, and then change it later, it really messes with the flow of the game. And it happened another time later in the game where there was a um a double play ball and Crawford had put the tag on someone and then threw to first base and the ump called the guy safe at first base. And I remember thinking for sure he was out. So there you go. They pause the game, they do the replay, the umps gather, the people working in the stadium play lame music and try to get your attention somehow and not be bored. And it took longer than the other one. And they came back and they said, he's out. And I remember thinking, yes, I told you so. It was so obvious. And it was like, wait, but why isn't he leaving first base? And they said, he's out. Crawford did tag the runner out and then... The runner actually that was running to first was safe. So I didn't even know that they were reviewing the fact that he tagged him. But serious momentum was lost during the game. And people were just kind of tuned out to the whole experience. I think this is a perfect time to go back to a point I made earlier, which is we have to treat baseball like it's a play. Like, it's an experience that we're going to see. And if you get too stuck on the details of what actually happened, and if it was actually a strike, and if he was actually safe, you start to get involved with technology that just kind of tramples what the sport represents. You don't need to see the box when you're watching TV of what the strike zone actually is. You don't need to see that. It takes your eye away from watching the sport. What you need to be seeing is the players doing everything that they can to convince the umpire of what happened. You need to see the manager of the teams going out and arguing for their team because nothing really adds more excitement to the spectacle of the game than that because let's get really really real baseball is a game that's being played if we can put the equivalent of this sport to a game at viazi yeah i know it doesn't sound fair to the athletes who are so superior You know, anyone can grab a couple dice or a um, cup full of dice and throw them. Um, But it is just a game. And if we treat it as a game, things will fall in line in terms of how we interact with it. And the connection that we have to it, where it should mean everything to these players. To give their best performance and to give it everything we have. Everything they have. But we have to remember that it is just a game. And I know there's people out there that are saying, I'm a total idiot for having this idea that we need to leave it in the umpire's hands because if we have this argument you hear all the time well if we have the technology why wouldn't we use it and it kind of go goes back to brissard's question because it's not better for the game i can't remember if i've touched on this one yet before but do you remember a few years back when that tigers pitcher had a perfect game going he had 26 outs in a row And the 27th batter hit a little dribbler, and the pitcher covered the ball or covered first base, caught the ball, tagged first before the runner, but the umpire called him safe. And there was this big controversy that this stupid umpire had taken away history from this young, poor pitcher. I like to make the argument that this pitcher did throw a perfect game that for that half second before the umpire signaled that he was safe, he had a perfect game. Now the statistics are not going to show that he threw a perfect game. going to show that he threw a one hitter, or whatever it was that it turned out. I don't remember if he threw a complete game. I think he did. I think he got the next guy out, but History kind of captured that in its own way, where people remember that game, and now he's probably more famous for that game than any of the other pitchers that have thrown a perfect game, technically, for the stats, that is. (sighs) Umpires are there to interpret the game the very best that they can. Let's not forget, these are the best in the world at what they do. And if they're not good enough, then we can implement things that don't allow them to stay in the sport. But we have to let the umpire call the game. Instant replay is death. Death to this sport. And I'm not being It It is death to this sport. Just like in this game, it didn't make it better. Oh. <sighs> right around the corner we're going to start accepting electronic strike zones death death to baseball i could already feel the flat line in the stadium you could feel it coming you could feel all this momentum that's going the wrong direction where people kind of just want to be at a game to be seen and what's actually happening on the field is kind of like yeah you know you know we'll go along with it I got this great example. Uh pause for a beverage break. I was lucky enough to be invited to the 49ers NFC Championship game. And this wasn't this last uh January, it was the one before. So it was 49ers Packers. And um it was the I believe second time I'd been to a 49ers game at that place. And it was fun doing the tailgating before the game, but kind of in the same vein of what I'm talking about, um, instead of tailgating, everybody kind of had their square, their kind of designated space. And it wasn't so much about who's putting up the best bratwurst. It was whose music is the loudest. So you had all these really, really, really large speakers just competing for We Got the Hot Spot. And again, it seemed more for selfie reasons than I think this song's amazing. One song I did hear that made me very happy was uh, There's a, a Bluebird on My Shoulder, Should I Kill It? I haven't heard that in years. So that was great. Outside of that, it was just a lot of competing Uh, beats basically so you could barely hear any distinguishing um factors to each song it was just very 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 loud but when it was time to walk from tailgate to the stadium that energy was pulsating so we walked in uh we saw a great game there was a few things that i had exceptions to but overall uh, it was a really, really fun game. Giants killed the or sorry, uh, 49ers killed the Packers and took them on to the Super Bowl, which they eventually lost. But the two things I remember the most from that game, aside from having a great time with a couple friends of mine, was multiple times during the game, I saw players on the field mid-drive Standing in the center of the field, hands on hips, waiting, waiting for the referees to tell them they could play football. I kept standing up on my seat screaming, play football, play football, because TV had taken over the sport. TV was telling the athletes on the field and the officials that were working the game when they could play. So it was no longer that TV was recording the spectacle that was happening. TV was telling them when they could play. And so, you know, this is the gridiron. This is two teams going against each other, momentum, um, clashing up against each other, marching down the field. And all that momentum is getting killed by TV advertising. And the officials of the sport going along with that and letting TV rule the sport. It was really sad. Don't you think that a football player that's in the NFC Championship game that's trying to head to the Super Bowl, driving down the field, wants to stay in that driving mode? Like it's first and 10 let's keep this momentum going instead of let's wait until the red light goes back on and tells us that we can play it was really sad i mean imagine watching the masters golf tournament and instead of the golfers going out and playing their golf round and tv capturing it as it's played the tv cameraman tells the player when they can hit Do you know how much worse the players would play if they didn't get to go with their own momentum and they had to listen to other people, it's like, okay, I'm ready to knock this putt in right now. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Oh, Just hold on a sec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be clear in the next 10 to 50 seconds. Just hang on a sec. Then you can hit your putt. Wouldn't work. You wouldn't see the athletes playing at their best, highest level, their highest potential Because they're going through their own things as athletes to arrive at their best. They're not listening to the TV camera. The camera is capturing what the athlete does. So shame on football for letting that happen. But they did. And that sucked. And I let the fans and the people on the field know. Doubt they could hear me. We had good seats. I don't think we had spectacular seats. So I don't think anyone that. Anyone on the field heard me, but some people did and they chuckled and they laughed, but I felt like I was making a real point and other people seemed to just sort of accept it. Eh, it's a TV timeout. Yeah, too bad. You know, that's sports. That's today's sports. I'm not buying into that. I think it sucks. <laughs> so that's kind of baseball is like creeping into that where they're letting other things dictate how the sport is played it's a bad idea you know what another thing i got to tell you this is just and this is the most poignant thing of the entire game um and this is the football game it's the last thing i'm gonna say uh, on this episode about football but i saw this thing you know how you have those moments in your life where you see the thing that tells the entire story and it's just encapsulated so perfectly that Um, It's like the picture is worth a thousand words. It's just that. I saw this young fella. We'll just say he was maybe about 30. This is after the game. Niners, this is maybe like 15 minutes after the game. And we were, I can't remember why we were still there. We might have been gathering some of the people we were with, but we were pretty near to where we were sitting and uh, just kind of waiting to leave the stadium. At least half the stadium had filtered out. So I see this guy looking down on his phone, scrolling, and then he puts his arm up in the air to take a selfie and he starts jumping up and down going, oh, oh, as he's like kind of doing a 360 so that his selfie video shot kind of gives a full 360 of the stadium you know, this guy is fired up, oh, and then he clicks off, and nothing. He's right back to Flatline looking at his phone. So basically everything he did was bullshit. All he was actually doing was posting something to show other people that he was at an NFC championship game and the Niners won and he was in the Niners regalia and he was so psyched. He just couldn't even contain himself. And he was there celebrating with the other. people He wasn't celebrating. He was flatlined before he turned his video on. And the second he turned it off, it was a hundred percent bullshit emotion. And you better be really careful when you're catering to those people more than the people that are actually interested in what's going on in the sport. Because all these really, really big TV contracts, they're going to go away when people stop tuning in. And if you keep alienating the real fans, it's going to continue to take the air out of the sport. And I keep telling you that history is the air that's in baseball. And if you keep changing things to make history less and less important, it will continue to be less and less important. And the people that used to bring people to the ballpark because they love it and want you to be a part of it, they're going to stop going. And you're just going to end up getting like in San Francisco, a bunch of transplants, people that can afford to go that don't really know what a double play is or they don't know what an infield um infield shit, what do they even call? It? <laughs> infield fly roll you are not even going to know what that means. And You're going to feel that sort of, um, you know how some sports say, oh, you know, they they often will say it about at Cardinals games. Oh, now these fans, they know the sport. This is a baseball town. You're going to get less and less of that. And it's not going to work in baseball's favor. And it's not even going to work for the rich people's favor because they're going to spend whatever millions or billions and they're not going to get it back in returns. So you better listen to what I'm saying because um, you're playing with fire here you really are playing with fire. Okay. So another thing I saw at the ball game and this, um, I'd heard talked about, but I saw it in actual, uh, form and there I was minding my own business, trying to watch the game. My buddy taps me on the shoulder and he goes, Hey, what's with the, uh, what's with the clock in, in center field. And there was a Let's see, a two-minute clock and a 20-second clock. So we watched it for a while and figured out what it was. And the 20-second clock we saw first. And when a batter you know, got a hit or got out, basically when the ball got back to the pitcher's hand, the 20-second clock would start. And he would start at 20 and count down to zero. And we were assuming that this is basically notifying the batter that they have... 20 seconds to, to get into the box. Now, in the interest of speeding up the game, uh, this made sense. Okay, this gives a batter a reason to you know, not make the game any longer than it needs to be. You can go ahead and get in the box. Um, what my friend kept saying was, I don't get why it's there because no one's going to punish him. So why is the clock even there? And what I kept answering to him was, because it's not about punishment, it's just about, you know, if there's a ticking clock that someone can point to, it just kind of manifests itself that batters are going to move the game along quicker. So the other clock that we saw, the two-minute clock, was the between-innings clock, and that was basically, you know, warm up for max of two minutes, first baseman, throw your balls to the infielder, pitcher, keep your arm loose, and then let's let's get rolling playing the game. So it makes sense, but here's where I have a problem with that whole idea. How many historians, again, you're going to hear this multiple times in the Ken Burns original series about baseball. You're going to hear it with any old person that talks about the game and why they love it. People love talking about you're not playing against the clock. It's the one sport where you're not playing against the clock. Of course. Golf has no clock. Don't believe volleyball play has a clock either. But in comparison to baseball or football, that's one of the things that baseball fans like to say um, that helps champion their sport is, we're not subjected to any clock. We play till the game's over. And that is a beautiful thing. You play till the game's over. Playing in extra inning games is really fun. You get that sudden death feeling and kind of anything can happen. You're going to want to hang on to that. We're not playing against the clock. Well, now there is a physical clock in the sport of baseball and you're not held to it necessarily yet, but it muddies the, no, it doesn't muddy the water. That's not accurate enough. I'll just say it changes that sort of nostalgic feeling. Um, Baseball has changed now that there is a ticking clock. It's like a shot clock. Baseball never had that before, but it is here now. And doesn't it seem easier that the umpire could just sort of control that? I mean, that's how we did it in Little League and all the other sports is, okay, you know, move it along, pitcher, last one, and then we're going to start the inning. Isn't that well within the umpire's uh, powers and capabilities to just sort of move the game along? Why is that too much to ask for a, from an umpire that we need to have ticking clocks in baseball? I don't think it's a good trade. I think putting that um, putting that uh, responsibility on the umpire is exactly where it needs to be, and so let's keep it there. Ticking clocks, baseball—it's not a good idea. I really wish that. Yeah, it just. The whole thing made me sad that the ball game just doesn't seem to be the most important thing anymore. And I think that's really, really dangerous for the sport of baseball. So uh, my time's up. Mona Lisa Baseball Episode 6. Can't wait to be back with you next week.